I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottomline Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Danny Lipford. Danny's the host of the Emmy-nominated Today's Homeowner TV show, which broadcasts in 207 of 210 markets and is now in its 20th season on the air. He also hosts the Today's Homeowner radio shows, which is syndicated in 260 stations. He's been remodeling homes since he was 21 years old and sharing his secrets with broadcast audiences since 1988. More importantly, Danny's been sharing his wisdom with Bottom Line's readers since 2006, including the very popular recent story called The Eight Home Smells That Could Be Signs of Danger. So you can learn more about Danny and his latest projects at todayshomeowner.com. Welcome, Danny. Thank you for talking to us today. Oh, I'm glad to be here with you, Sarah. A lot of things to talk about. Well, indeed. And I just will say before we get to our real topic of the day that truly that article about the eight home smells that could be signs of danger, so popular on our website, on our social, like people are all concerned about smells. Just letting you know. Good well, feedback for you. Well, well, it's amazing, you know, how many um, calls and emails that we get about certain things like that because people are concerned. And that's one of the first telltale signs of possible problems, you know, are things that you smell on a regular basis and maybe even a little intimidated to bring that up to people sometimes. But I'm glad I'm glad the article worked out very well. Enjoyed working with you on that and also enjoyed um, being with Bottom Line all these years. Well, thank you. We're thrilled to have you. We have another piece coming up in the upcoming issue. So bottomlineinc.com has all your stories with us. All right, today I want to talk about something far bigger than smells and creaks. I want to talk about the basic decision that people go through when it's the home home is the biggest purchase that they're going to make in their lives, biggest investment they're going to make. And the debate as you're looking, everybody wants that nice, shiny new house. But it's not as simple as get the new one instead of what I fondly called the used car. So you and I today, we're going to go through kind of the decision tree of the pros and cons of new houses and the pros and cons of used houses. How about it? Good, good. That sounds great. That's uh, something I've um, uh, been asked about um, quite a bit because people ponder that decision just as you referred to as far as a car uh, purchase. So do I want that brand new car or do I want one that's used that uh, is a little less expensive? There's very um, similar decision-making aspects to that, but certainly there's some that are different as well. Yeah, it's not so simple, the new versus used. So let's go through it. Let's talk about new houses first. Okay. Um, all right. So what acknowledging that new houses come in all different price levels, is there an overall rule of thumb on the construction quality and the finish of newer houses versus older houses? And I'm not talking about the super high-end mega custom houses. I mean these kind of general development houses. Well, I'll tell you, you know, we can't go through a conversation like this without stepping on a few toes. So we can apologize in advance for any of that. But um, when you create homes um, in a in, in a mass production type of approach where you're building 50, 75, 100 homes of somewhat cookie cutter type approach, um, there's a big push for speed because the, you know, the interest is piling up on these things before sales are being made. Um, they're buying in bulk, which certainly can bring the cost down. But many times, uh, if that proper supervision is not looped into it, and the checklist for these developers and builders is not of a pretty high standard, there are a lot of problems in a, that, that result from that. I mean, um, concrete that's not quite right, the finishing not 
quite right. So it's all over the place in terms of the level of quality, but it's certainly something that that open communication when you're entering into a decision like that is absolutely the most important thing that you feel comfortable that you can communicate with the person and you know who that person is that you'll be dealing with throughout that process. And it also depends on whether you're buying early and following the process or you're buying a finished off the shelf house. Yeah. So you just, you just brought four points in all at one time. So let's break that down a little bit. So in terms of that, you know, um, some of the, when they haven't been watching the quality, the thing that I find frightening for people considering a new house is that it looks sparkly. So some of that stuff you're talking about, the quality of the concrete or things like that, they can't see. And to the naked eye or let alone the first home buyer, the first time home buyer, how, how do they find, how do they know what's underneath? Is it, is it come out at the inspection stage or, you know, how, you know, how on alert do they need to be about those kinds of cut corners or inadequate um, areas of finish? Well, you know, without knowledge of the whole process and, you know, the old term industry standard, that's really a good term because you might look at something, and go, you know, that just doesn't look quite right to me. Well, um, it's up to our industry standard. Well, wait a minute. Um, the industry standard dictates that there shouldn't be more than a sixteenth of an inch gap, you know, on and on and on and on. So there is um, there, you know, there are books and guidelines of industry standards. And that's kind of the baseline when you get into any type of dispute. But but Sarah, I really think this is one of the a lot of these type of um, questions uh, can be solved. A lot of potential problems can be solved by starting early in really doing the due diligence and finding out if this is a quality builder, if there's been, if the reviews are good, um, absolutely like anything that you're doing in your home, talk to someone that lives in one of the homes that has been built by that person or talk to several if you can. Why not take that amount of valuable time there and, and talk to someone, knock on some doors and say, hey, excuse me, I hope you don't mind. You've lived here. How long? Uh, you happy? We're about to build down here. No one will get upset about that at all. And that's where you can at least start the the process in the right direction in, okay, I feel confident. They do great service work in following up. They have a good track record. Okay, I can kind of breathe a little easy at this point in entering into this um, big decision that, and, and big purchase I'm about to make. So, it's always worth telling someone, let's really do your homework before you sign on the dotted line. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. We actually, our house, uh, we're, we've been there 24 years, but it was new when we bought it. And it was the first house in a neighborhood. And it was shocking to me how few questions came from any of the other people that came into the neighborhood. I think we talked to one neighbor throughout the process mm-hmm. to, to mm-hmm. try and vet the builder because it was the same builder building it all. And people, they, they think about checking references, but they don't really follow through. And it's critical. We had lots of stories that we could have told about the builder, pro and con, um, but they don't do it. Well, you know something that's happening here, too, in, in a lot of different areas of the country, particularly right now. I was um, doing some taping recently at a very interesting subdivision up in the North Alabama area, a very, very interesting um, place. But the guy was telling me that um, they had an open house, had a big gathering of everybody. I think there were 85 houses in this neighborhood. Uh, there were three of them that were under construction when they had their little open house and kind of entertainment kind of uh, thing to introduce the neighborhood. He said within 24 hours, they had bids 
on every single house, even though some of the streets were not even built, uh, you know, constructed right. at that point. So that um, that seller's market mentality throws everything off because now you're just trying to get the bid in there and the quality is for some reason terribly is second secondary to getting in this neighborhood and paying the top price for these things. That's where it throws everything off. And I would never enter into a situation like that. I would put the brakes on and still go through the process and still go through the due diligence, or you're going to be sitting there in a few years going, wow, man, they really rushed to put this thing together. Um, it, it, it really is worth slowing down, put on the brakes, no matter what scenario you're in. Well, so, and also when they show the spec houses, obviously that has to be perfect no 16th of an inch no nail pops no nothing and how what's the quality difference in general they build these neighborhoods they have these big developments the show houses look perfect but when they go roll out to the 10 20 30 50 80 houses in the neighborhood is there generally disappointment if you don't really stay on the process the whole way through the building process there shouldn't be of course we have to say that but many times uh, there will be, especially as they're moving through the process. Um, you know, theoretically, if the same subcontractors are working on it, they should get better. Yes, they will get quicker, but they should get better on being able to produce these one, two, or three different plans within a subdivision that they're working on. So um, that would vary, I think, from c- contractor to contractor or developer to developer. But theoretically, it should be the same standard, even maybe better. But so often, it does trail off quite a bit. So again, it's it's knowing who to communicate with and keeping the communication open. I, I, I hear people talking about, you know, I sent an email to Jim about three concerns I had, and it took over four days for him to respond. What? Right. I would be at Jim's doorstep saying, Jim, we got to have a little talk here. Uh, you're having problems with your email or we're about to have some problems with the process of this house. How can I improve the communication? So you don't want that confrontational type of thing to end up happening. You want to clear that up right up front. And again, taking the time to ask questions, who will I be dealing with on a case by case basis? If I have a concern, how do I adequately voice that? And what can I expect for that? Those are good, healthy questions that should not offend anyone. Um, red flag, if it does offend anyone, I would go to the next subdivision and not worry about that one. Yeah. And I think the thing, important thing for people to realize, again, they think they're buying a new house and it's turnkey and it's easy. It's going to be beautiful, but it does still take participation, assuming you're getting it during the course of the building process. So let's talk about one other aspect of new houses that we're going to take a little break. Um, Post-closing problems. This is something that I don't think anybody really thinks about. They think they're getting their new house. It's going to be shiny. There's not a person I know who has a new house that hasn't had the punch list and the fights post-closing with their developer. Mm -hmm. What's... well, that's that's one of those questions you definitely, um, you know, going through the entire process before you sign on the dotted line, before you even show, you know, tremendous interest in, in moving forward with your purchase to be able to talk to that person and say, OK, we're going through the process. Everything's finished. You're going to ask me to sign off on everything because that will be required before you can get release from the bank and so forth. Um, what if I find out what are my, what's my warranty? And I want a copy of that warranty now so that I can see what items, how they'll be handled, the remediation 
of any problem I have. I really need to feel comfortable that if something comes up, I'll know my guidelines. Can you provide that to me? Think of it as an insurance policy. That's what you do with your insurance, or of course you should really know that insurance policy and what it will cover and what it won't. Same way with any type of issue after the house. How long, how much, what will happen, when will it happen? Boy, that's a great questions to ask. And again, if anyone is hesitant to provide you that information, you should be hesitant to go forward with any kind of transaction with that company. Yeah, and again, back to your prior uh, recommendation and advice is vetting that builder and developer beforehand because part of it is how did you deal with them or how did they deal with your post-close problems? Because again, I mean, we, and we got to the point with our builder, we could have spent, we had a long punch list and then it was, and we had escrow, but you have to be sure you have enough escrow. And, um, you know, we could have got to the point of we could have spent, I'll call it $5,000 with the lawyer to get $5,000 worth of work. And I think it right. really ends up becoming a battle of wills and a battle of patience. So something well, to consider well, with these new houses. It, 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 it certainly is. It's, it's exactly that, Sarah. But, but if you get everything out in the open, don't be scared to ask a question. That's the thing. The open communication, you'll hear me say that over and over and over with anything to do with remodeling, building new houses. It's having that open line of communication. If you don't have that, then problems are going to fester. They're going to get bigger and bigger. And that's when you end up, unfortunately, having to call that lawyer. Exactly. Okay, Danny Lipford, todayshomeowner.com. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to come back and talk about buying used houses, as I call it. I'm talking to Danny Lipford, one of the foremost experts on home building, home repair, and remodeling. Our homes are the most valuable and probably the most complex assets most of us will purchase in our lives. With so many systems and moving parts in our homes, there's a never ending stream of problems to fix or areas to improve. And with each of them, you want to be sure to do it right. Danny's expert advice on everything from knowing how to buy a workbench to which house problem to fix first appear regularly in our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal. Bottom Line Personal is filled with information from America's leading experts on not just home maintenance and repair, but on all aspects of your life, including living a healthy life, safe travel, insurance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. All right, Danny, let's talk about what I finally call used houses. And I'll acknowledge that I have this presumed bias when I look at these huge developments getting thrown up of, of tracked housing. So does the phrase when it comes to used houses, they don't make them like they used to apply in terms of is there a construction quality value to older houses versus newer houses? Well, I'll tell you uh, one way that you can really tell that is uh, in all of my years of, of remodeling, I have deconstructed an awful lot of homes. And I can tell you some of the newer homes are very easy to tear apart and that kind of thing, which is good sometimes. But when you really look at the anatomy of some of the older homes and you look at the slower growth wood, now what the heck does that have to do with it? Well, the, the trees are growing so fast now because of the hybrid trees the it's less dense 
So in some situations, I had an engineer I was talking to the other day where you have a span that used to you used to be able to put a two by six across a particular room. Now you have to go by two by eight because the wood is just not as good. Well, what it's not does as that strong. tell you? Just it's not as strong because uh-huh. it's not as dense. So with it being a faster growth to it, it's it's it just has the fibers of it and the strength of it that's created by the dense fibers is just not there. So the wood is not as good. Um, and so therefore the houses can't be as good. Certainly the standards and the requirement these days, the necessity of building things so quickly is also affecting things. So, um, and, and, and I guess, you know, if you look at certain times of growth throughout the years in terms of housing starts and when it's really been busy, when everything is the, the busiest time in America that they're building the most houses, I think, is when the quality is at its lowest because people will buy anything because it's a seller's market, which is very similar to where we are right now to a certain degree. Thank goodness the codes and the building departments are tightening up some of their standards. But I, w- I would I would um, have to say they did that, that they don't build them like they used to. But as a bit of a caveat of that, I would have to say they can't or they wouldn't make any money. So is there an era of what you consider, I'll call it great construction? Because again, I'm going to look at used houses and part of it is the age of the house. So are there certain eras that you think was just rock solid? If you can buy a house from these decades, then it's it's rock solid house in general. Well, um, Sarah, I'll have to say that's a pretty, that's a pretty good question because um, you know, and, and and looking back on all the many houses, I mean, I've worked on houses that are 180 years old up to a week old, and I would have to say the 60s, um, that the, the 60s era there, wood was very plentiful. Um, you had great craftsmen. You, I mean, there's a lot of great houses that were built in the 60s. Um, the 50s, you had a lot of the aluminum wiring. And you had a lot of the techniques there that uh, were just still um, catching on. Uh, 70s um, got a little busy at certain points there, and I think the quality went down. 80s, eh, you know, in general, pretty good. So I I would have to say in answer to your question, I would be very comfortable buying a house that was built uh, in the 60s. Wow. I'm I'm shocked. I would have thought that would have been one of those growing eras. How about like the old, like turn of the century, early 20th century houses, the good kind of classic Victorian-y kind of things? Yeah, well, you really have to love those. I mean, because you're going to be working on them all the time. And I have worked on thousands of them. And we still do a lot of work. And when we're taping our television shows and so forth, we still involve a lot of those. You know, it's the energy efficiency that's such a challenge there Mm. because it's really you just can't get them up to standards of 2018 insulating values. You just can't do it without basically tearing all the walls out. Um, so that's the challenge there, and certainly the maintenance aspect of it with such a strong trend in housing now being at low or no maintenance on the exteriors, those are the opposite of that unless you, you know, bring it Great up point. to standards with some of the newer materials. So, you know, you, you are sacrificing some, but so many people that we work with are so passionate about the older houses, the larger moldings, the higher ceilings, 
that they tend to look past that point that they're going to spend a little extra money on their energy bill. Right. But that's then part of the decision tree of do you want a new house or do you want an older house that has that kind of character? So 60s was kind of your peak great construction era. All right. And you ran through a bunch of the other decades. So what were the 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 rapid growth, weaker construction eras, the 70s, the 50s? Well, I think it does vary a little bit in the different um, regions of the country, but uh, I don't think the 80s is a good time. <laughs> okay. The, um, you know, I mean, I had a lot of fun during the 80s, but I there mean, was a lot know, of problems a, in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I said a lot of problems. But as far as housing, I think they got a little busy there. I think uh, a little slack on a number of things. And again, it varies from different regions of the country, but um, in many areas that I see, the 80s had some problems in terms of um, they were very busy and a lot of the housing starts, but the regulations and some of the codes were not enacted as strong as they are today. Right. You know, you mentioned regional areas. Are there any regional things that someone should think about or be alert to if they're buying new house or used house? Like, Well, know. it's amazing how different it is. Right. I mean, you can uh, geographically, you can go 100 miles away from where you live now, and the building practices are different because of the availability of materials. And, you know, builders are a stubborn bunch. I can loop myself into that because, you know, I've always done it this way. It's always worked well for me. I'm going to continue doing it this way. And also the code differences can be from one to the other. So it's very um, surprising when when someone moves from the northeast to the southeast or vice versa and they look at the different housing. Why don't you have gutters? Well, we don't have gutters here. Well, where's the basements? Well, we don't have basements here. So it really is um, different housing, the geographic aspect of it, not just because of the weather conditions, but just how the standards and housing building standards in that particular area do change so much. So it's surprising a lot of people. Well, and an important thing to consider, especially as people are relocating across the country to understand what those different standards are as they're evaluating houses. Um, so well, that, 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 that goes back to slowing down the process a little bit. I, I hear people talking about I had three days to find my new house on the relocation of my job. And I'm going, whoa, yeah, that is pressure. If you're going into a new town, looking at new housing and you've got to make a decision for your family in three, three or four days, wow. uh, I would never want to be in that position. That's called rent for a year and then buy. I think that's exactly a good way to go. Yeah. All right. So, hey, is there an optimal age of a house um, where there'll be the least immediate repair issues? You know, is it where it's still new enough, but rock well, you solid? Know something, yeah. Something good to look at that is the life expectancy of different components of home. Surprises a lot of people. I know I um, remember doing a number of segments on CBS where we talked about life expectancy of components. And, you know, did you know that your water heater only lasts 8 to 12 years? You know, did you know your central air and heat will only last 12 to 14 years? So you factor in those things. And, of course, people focus on roof, you know, their roofs where, you know, they may last 20 to 25 years. So you get anywhere near that 15 to 20 year age of a home, you have to look um, closely at those, those expensive components that are there and if they will need to be replaced. Many times you get to the 25 or 30 year mark age on a home, those components have already been redone. Maybe they even redid the windows that were single pane and they upgraded to double pane. There's a little sweet spot in there, I would say, that somewhere between the 30 and 35, 30 and 40 year mark 
that replacements have been done, hopefully, and you're starting off with a little bit of a fresher components to the home, uh, I think that's a pretty good thing to look at. Yeah, great point. Are there any critical elements in the home inspection that most people miss when they're inspecting their used homes to consider buying? Well, first of all, home inspection is a great idea anytime you have an existing home, not just to possibly discover any defects or any problems in the home, but if you use the process correctly, you'll learn more about the home during that short period with that home inspector than you will many years of living in the home. And what a good a home inspector should do is to give you some perspective. And this is what I always like to do when I consulted people on home purchases is, first of all, here's a list, in my opinion, of things that you need to repair right now. It's up to you to negotiate whether the, the, the seller pays for it or you pay for it. But in my opinion, here's five things that you really need to take care of right now. Now, in the next 12 months, what are some of the things that you're going to, some of the costs that you're going to incur? Okay, here's what they might be. And then in the next five years, what a great perspective if you're not ignoring these things and you're thinking about in a very realistic manner immediate expenses, expenses in the next 12 months, and expenses in the next five years. There you have a comfort level, a more full disclosure on the type of home and the condition of a home you're buying. And that's what a lot of people will overlook many times is the expected expenses, um, expenses they should expect in the months and the years ahead. Totally. And so critical, again, when we're comparing, should you buy a new house where theoretically you won't have those expenses in the coming years versus an older house where that's all part of the formula. All right, so well, go ahead. It, it, that, that is true, but um, a lot of times people with newer homes, um, just like with a new car, you say, okay, I, will, I can put away my paintbrush. I never have to do anything. But <laughs> yeah. they realize the maintenance aspect of it that they still have to change the oil in the car. They have to change the filter in their house. So there's still a little bit there that you have to stay tuned into. Um, and whereas an existing house, certainly you would expect more things to be done. But a lot of times on a new house, people forget. I'll tell you, I've gone in houses that were five years old and just casually mentioned, you know, um, where's your air, you know, your air conditioning? filter and they look at me like do I have one uh-oh <laughs> you know, so doesn't it, the air just blow them? through them pardon doesn't the air just blow through those filters and clean it out no they don't <laughs> they, they sometimes they stop blowing through them and you wonder why your air conditioning went out when it was only five years old so. absolutely <laughs> all right so one more question about the decisions on on used homes so I love watching all the home buying TV shows and I always laugh because the people walk into the houses and they go, oh, I don't like the paint color. Oh, I don't like, and they, they're looking at small things. So how, when you're looking at an older home or a, a used home, do you help people to look at the bones of the house and look past the simple, you know, the, the things that can easily be changed to be able to be personalized and tailored to your needs? Well, you know, Sarah, something I've always, it's almost uh, mysterious to me sometimes when I walk into a house. Of course, I've been in thousands and thousands of houses, but I always call it the first six steps. And when I walk in that house and I take those first few steps into the house and I look around, if you're not getting a good feeling at that point, and I'm not talking about colors, furniture, flooring, 
I'm talking about the awkwardness of a potential layout. That is something that's really expensive and sometimes impossible to remedy is if you are all of a sudden, um, I remember one where the door opened up and it cleared the stairway going upstairs by a half inch. Immediately, I was assaulted as soon as I walked right. in by the staircase. Well, that's something that I encourage homeowners to look at is to really think about as soon as you walk in that house, how do you feel? Does it feel crowded? Does it feel awkward? And what you're seeing in, in your sight line, is that pleasing? Um, from the standpoint of doorways and things. That's an important part of it. And certainly digging down to the basic function and the bones and the structure of it, which again, a, a, a home inspector can help you so much in breaking that down and looking through the colors and so forth. So it's the basic structure of it, the quality of construction, and those awkward areas that can really be hard to fix. I love that. All right. So one of the things you talked about the quality of construction. So one of the things that I can feel in different houses, and this may be something for older and newer houses, I always think about how solid does it feel. So our house doesn't move in a storm. The winds can howl, whatever, but I just it doesn't budge. And is there is there a this subjective feeling when you you know close a door in a house or when you walk through that it feels like, you know, the floors are creaking versus you just feel like it's solid under your feet and in place. I feel like you have to have a little experience in order to to gain that. Certainly walking around on a second floor of a home and feeling if there's any flexing and if the house is uh, does have a basement or is built on uh, with a crawl space, if you feel any deflection in the floor or you go from one room to the other and feel any kind of movement at all, any kind of movement is not good. And certainly just the good old closing the door. It's just like closing a door on a quality car. You can tell that it's a quality car because of the way it connects. So a lot of those kind of things can be telltale signs or things that can make you feel a little uncomfortable about the home. But you really have to have that knowledgeable eye and experience to see through that and wonder why that's happening and be able to investigate it under the house or in the um, attic area if you see anything or feel anything that just doesn't feel right. Got it. Okay. So let's do, let's go to the bottom line on all this. All right. So bottom line, who should buy a new house? Well, someone that just is a self-proclaimed non-DIYer. Someone that's just said, you know, I'll never pick up. I mean, I see all these shows. I see all this inspiration to do this. Me, I will never pick up a hammer and a nail. Okay, you, you may want to go ahead and take care of that new house because it will spare you of the frustration and the expense to a degree to have to worry about the things that you'll have to do. Maintenance still there. You should embrace that. Um, someone that... Um, does have a vision and can see an existing home and see the potential in it and still be able to get the type of home they want with an older home, you're certainly going to save money on that in most cases. You have the upside potential of being able to do some improvements along the way to, to increase your investment. So if you're just a little entrepreneurial and you're a little handy, then certainly that existing house may be a better way to go for you. Perfect. And keeping in mind, no matter what you buy, as you said so strongly earlier, is that no matter what you're buying, you still have to communicate clearly. And you still, even if it's a brand new house, have to be involved with the developer, with the builder every step of the way. You can't just write your check and wait for it to be delivered. 
No, those are the ones that usually have great regrets. And uh, I, I know I, I have said it a lot, and I'll continue when I speak to people about it. Uh, that communication and connecting with that person that you're going to be dancing with for a few months here while the house is being built, um, boy, if you, if, you, if you don't have that wide open communication and like that person, which is what their role is, and that's their position, um, then you're going to have a long, miserable time ahead of you, which should not be that way. And, you know, you talk about, you know, people are, have a lot of problems with buying and selling. So many times it's just like problems that homeowners have when they're having things done to their home. So often when you dig into those scenarios, the homeowner got in a hurry. They didn't do their due diligence. They didn't check references. They didn't go and talk with references and look at d different type of projects. They just... Oh, just wanted to move forward and accelerate the process, I would say 80% of the time, that's been the problem all along. Not necessarily the contractor as much as the due diligence were just not conducted and resulted in problems. Absolutely. All right. Danny Lipford, todayshomeowner.com. Thank you so much for your wisdom and your time. Hey, my pleasure. And so good to be associated with um, Bottom Line. Best of luck on everything. Thank you. Thank you.